Welcome back to the Red Dice Stories. I'm John and I'm joined once again by my lovely wife Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be answering some of your voicemails. Okay, so first of all, we have Rob Davis, who's dropped us a voicemail about our Very Large Monsters episode that we did a while back. Take it away, Rob. Hi, John. It's Rob here. I just listened to your uh, podcast about Very Large Monsters, and I was reminded of a campaign I did uh, a few years back where the party was traveling through the astral plane, and they wound up uh, having to explore the body of a dying, or rather a dead god um and i had sections in it and the sections were the different body parts like the head was a section and then the uh the neck and shoulders were a section each arm was a section the chest was a section and so on and uh that was very interesting i had different things going on in each section and there were cultists living inside this god who were trying to bring it back to life and anyway it was uh very cool and uh i liked your podcast on giant stuff so i thought i'd mention it all right, enjoy the podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks very much, Rob. Glad you enjoyed the episode. And yeah, I think very large monsters are sort of quite challenging, you know, to include in your game and keep them interesting. Mm-hmm. But certainly breaking it down into, like, different areas and almost having, like, the bad guy be a map unto itself is one way of doing it. Because let's face it, no one wants to just be hacking away at what effectively amounts to as a big sack of hit points for like half an hour or something I mean, like that there are ways to make that ha- make that work and keep it interesting but it's very difficult yeah yeah i mean like anything with the with these episodes we're just offering a few suggestions i'm sure there are other ways of doing it out there but glad you enjoyed the episode rob and thank you very much for your message Okay, so next up we have a couple of voicemails from Goblin's Henchman and Joe over at the Hindsightless podcast about our recent Dinosaurs episode. Hi Anna, hi John, Goblin's Henchman here, just throwing it back to the Dinosaur episode. I think I find dinosaurs jarring in fantasy games because I think it, it overlaps too much with what I perceive as sort of science. And I, I think real life science and to me fantasy don't mix. Now... If you told me you had a giant aggressive lizard in my game, I'm on board. If you say it's a dinosaur, to me, I guess that, that boxes it into human history. You know, well, you know, I, I know fantasy games is <laughs> replete with these examples. But for some reason, the dinosaur is there. I think I think even Monster Man may have covered this once. It's this, this sort of, it feels too scientific. Um, anyway, I've got a little person who's well into their dinosaurs. They know all the names, Parasaurolophus and all the rest of it. I remember once he was aghast when someone thought he was wearing a T-shirt of a T-Rex when it was, in fact, a Majungasaurus. Go figure. Cheers. Cheers for that, Goblin's Henchman. Um, I suppose the point I was really trying to get across is that what we currently think of as dinosaurs, science already knows to be an antiquated mythological fantasy of what we thought dinosaurs were 100 years ago. So why not stick them in your D&D game? Because they are fantastic creatures that never actually walk the earth. Or the ones that John and I think of, anyway. 
yeah, best believe if I put them in my game, they're going to be more like those sort of like plasticine, like Lost World dinosaurs, like the Ray Harryhausen films, than mm-hmm. anything remotely resembling like real world dinosaurs. Unless I've like stumbled across an article recently that had something interesting in. Otherwise, yeah, it's definitely like Valley of the Dinosaurs slash Lost World vibe that I tend to go for. So, like Hannah's saying, they're pretty much sort of fictionalized imaginary versions anyway. Well, I can see why, you know, you, you might want to not bring science too much into your game. And often we, we hear people say that when it comes to things like gunpowder and stuff like that. But I've always sort of seen D&D particularly as a sort of a bit of a magpie sort of genre anyway, where, you know, you just take the bits you like out of fantasy, science Absolutely. fiction, science, whatever. But And if you don't want to put dinosaurs in your game, don't. But it sounds like your son's already got loads of really cool miniatures that you could just drop into, like, any campaign world. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that if you don't put dinosaurs in your game, like Hannah will be around your house with a trained pack of velociraptors, but, you know. Hey, John and Hannah. So this is in reference to Red Dice Diaries' last call-in episode dinosaurs g-strings and more whatever it was called uh in regards to john's conversation with joe about religions and D and and role-playing games and yeah i've always been of the camp where if you're an atheist in a D world you're an idiot it's basically it would basically be the same as being a flat earther in today's world uh there there is objective and subjective proof that the gods do exist and they do interact. And so, yeah, I've always been in that camp, but for whatever reason, as you guys were talking about it, I was thinking in a world where people oftentimes common people can get powers directly from the gods, would there really be organized religion? Because in the large part, most organized religion is about being an intermediary between the common rabble and the deity, you know, basically in an attempt to gain power. Uh, But if people can interact and get reactions and responses from the deity without an intermediary, without there needing to be a church or a priest or any of that, would organized religions form? Or would people just have their own beliefs and those beliefs be justified because they are getting, they are getting powers from the gods. And yes, not everyone in those worlds gets powers. Not everyone obviously is a cleric, but it's sort of implied that anyone kind of could become that. So yeah, that's what I was wondering. What do you think? Would, would organized religions and churches actually form if the common person could directly interact with the gods and get responses from those interactions? That's my question. I'd love to hear what you think. Peace out. Hi, Joe. Um, It's a really cool question. Um, So, the first thing that you said about being an atheist in a D&D world just very much reminded me of the clip of Dara O'Brien at a LARP game where he declared that his elf character was an atheist. Oh, was that Tough Gigs, wasn't it? Tough Gigs, that's the one. You can find the clips on YouTube. He declares that his elf character is an atheist. Uh, He's a comedian. He's never done any sort of D&D or LARP before and he gets thrown into this to do a gig at the end. Um... 
his atheist elf immediately after declaring this gets a whisper in the ear from the ref at which point he drops to the floor having been struck by a lightning bolt and several of the healer characters come over and heal him in the name of the gods and get him back up and point out to him that this is clear evidence that the gods do exist and he's going to have to rethink his position um I seem to remember in that though he's when they show him the sort of healing, he's like, "Oh well, that's very impressive, but like, there's no proof that that power actually came from a god." Yeah, okay, you enchanted in the name of a god, but fair, yeah. Um, I think it'd be quite a difficult character to play. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to go for a sort of atheist style character in a D and D game, you're really sort of like making that your shtick. And that's going to be your thing. I don't think it would be a widespread sort of viewpoint. Now, the question here is whether the atheist is less likely to draw the ire of other gods than a follower of God A who doesn't like followers of God B and is hunted by followers of God C, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because in a lot of fantasy worlds, and not all of them, in a lot of fantasy worlds, there's some sort of reason why gods don't just, like, interact directly with the world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why they need their clerics and they need their worshippers. They can't just, like, reach down into the world and be like, Shazam, lightning bolt. So, if you, even if you had someone who was like, I don't believe in any of the gods, if the gods have got some sort of reason they can't directly interfere with the world, then they can't just, like, smite down the unbeliever, so to speak. Well, yeah, and... It's also how does the god speak to the people? Because, like, um, what's the Discworld book where there's the country that has an emerging god? Um, Is it Om? No, no, no. Trooper Soldiers. It's the sharp sort of one. Uh, Monstrous Monstrous Regiment. Regiment. Um, And the god's the Duchess. And, like, every night the people are dreaming this god into existence and therefore all of the people have access to this god because they're sort of forming it through that. Yeah. So, like, at the minute, we've got one group of people saying, oh, uh, do unto others as you would do to yourself. Blessed are the meek. And then we've got another group of people saying, yeah, but what if the people are like, this group or this group now you've all seen the meme with jesus going did i stutter (laughs) yeah Yeah? (laughs) at some point your D god if his followers have gone off track is going to intervene now do does your D god intervene by appearing as a mortal and talking to some of their followers do they intervene by sending everybody a message that also appears in the holy book that night Mm -hmm. do those messages contradict each other do the new ones always surpass the old ones um does this only happen to certain people how are those people identified can there be false prophets? All of this stuff, if you've got a cleric-based group or a clergy-based group, could be so interesting to explore. 
Yeah, I mean, I think as well, it, a lot of it comes down to why the gods need wor- in D and D need worshippers. Because mm-hmm. I mean, if if you sort of go on that Terry Pratchett vibe you were just talking about, where you're like, oh, the the gods are shaped by what their worshippers believe and what the worshippers need. Well, if there's some sort of schism between like two or more differing sides of worshippers, does that create like a new god that matches more closely with one? So, like, let's say you have like a storm god. And at some point, there's like a schism in his worshippers, and one lot believes one thing, one lot believes something else. Do they are there then two storm gods being separately like guided, or is it just a different aspect of the main god, or does it wait until like one of the schisms, one of the sort of sides triumphs, and then become and their god? That particular process does that weaken the god when it becomes two gods or does it strengthen them do they want that to happen or do they not want it to happen that's something that they talk about a bit in american gods isn't it yeah the neil gaiman book i mean if you're running a DD game where like the gods need to have their worshippers because that gives them some manner of power and like mo worshippers equals mo power then perhaps when there's like a few differences in doctrine that let's face it don't really matter that much to the god maybe they're just like you know what i'm good with it if it keeps that number of worshippers and that power rolling in maybe the god of storms is like okay yeah originally it was you were supposed to sacrifice a fish every tuesday and they've changed it to thursday but you know what i'm fine with that it keeps the worshippers i don't want to lose the worshippers by making a big deal about it because i want my divine worshipful power to keep rolling in so mm-hmm. I, I think a, a lot of this sort of stuff depends on how you're exactly handling gods in your game. As to whether there would be organised religions in D and D, well, like gods do exist. I think probably there would be. I think there would almost certainly be because immediately, if you've got one or more gods, you've got the groups that want to follow the gods, the groups that don't want to follow the gods. Yes. Yeah. So you've immediately got an A and B group and somebody wants to organise that bit of that group Yeah, somebody is going to be there to say yeah we're all agreed our god doesn't like it if you eat cats our god does like it if you give every cat you see a biscuit Yeah, and on that note I'll be back in a moment <laughs> yeah and I also think that because as Joe said, not everyone who worships a god is a cleric or a friar or whatever in a game. I think part of it depends on how common classed people are, so people with a character class are in your game. If they're like rare as rocking horse shit, then you probably are going to get like your clerics as the representatives of the gods. Because, again, if the gods don't directly interact with the world, they're probably speaking through their clerics, and that gives them a degree of power... And once someone has a degree of power over other people, it's natural for them to create an organisation that will support that. Not saying I'm particularly fond of that practice, but we've seen it happen a number of times throughout history. But there's a few thoughts. I mean, if your gods can interact directly with the world, or you've got like a bajillion clerics, and like anyone who prays to a, a god can be a cleric, then who knows? It might work a bit differently. I certainly know I've seen books where it's so declared that how many of those clerics who go out like adventuring and crusading in the name of their god are actually given the cleric magical powers and other priests don't really have them as much so you can play it either way but thank you very much for that call in joe 
That was a great one and has sparked off a lot of interesting ideas. Next up, we have some calls about Hannah's recent gathering slash LARP related episode from BJ at the Arcane Alienist, Jason at Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Joe at Hindsightless, and Randy at Biggest Geekers. We're going to play all of these together, and you know, we might inject a comment here or there, but thank you very much for your calls, guys. Hey guys, this is BJ from the Arcane Alienist. Uh, I'm glad to hear you guys putting together another episode. It's been a while since we, we heard your voices, <laughs> so it was, it was good to hear you guys again. And I am, I just want to give you my condolences for losing a friend um, and, and part of your your community there for, for your role-playing and your LARPing. That's that's rough. You know, a, I, a member of my D&D gaming group passed away earlier this year, so I, I can sympathize with what you guys are probably going through now. So, But uh, hang in there. And uh, again, it's good to good to hear a new episode. Take care. Talk to you later. Hey, Hannah. My condolences on loss to your friend. Uh, that joke at the end kind of shows somebody's personality and sense of humor, and that's very cool. Definitely sounds like somebody that would, you know, be welcome addition to any any group of friends. Um, thank you for the episode. Great to hear you guys on the air again. I know life's been busy. Mine's been really hectic too. So. Hang in there, and, and we're here. When, when you guys have a chance, put stuff out, and we'll watch it. And Otherwise, I just hope the best for you guys. Take care. Hey, Hannah. Hey, John. That was an awesome joke. I just had to call and say, absolutely, that was worth every second. <laughs> it's not a lion. It's a unicorn. Genius. Uh, very, very sorry to hear about y'all's friend. That's that's. It's sad, man, when that kind of stuff happens, especially when it comes out of the blue like that and just it can hit you hard. It can hit you hard. But I'm glad it sounds like, Hannah, you were able to, you know, have a good time and, you know, kind of represent your buddy, even though he wasn't there. So good for you. Uh, and just really nice to hear you back on the mic, Hannah. Great episode. And I will talk to you all later. Peace out. John and Hannah, this is Randy from Biggest Geekus. It's been a while since I've called in, and I wanted to call on the Gathering episode. I really appreciated that deep dive into what I thought was the heart of LARPing and that weekend that Hannah had with her friends. I'm not much into that sort of um, live-action gaming, but I have to admit, it sounds kind of fun. It sounds like it's a lot of camaraderie and good times, and I really thought that was a cool episode to expose me to something I've never really done. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I appreciate it, and keep up the good work, guys. Take care. Thank you ever so much, everyone, for all the messages that have been sent in. Yeah. And uh, I will forward on this message to Shuggy's family um, it's much appreciated I've had to go and take a couple of minutes to calm myself down that's understandable, um, that's understandable. I do want to say I feel like in the moment of talking about those things I didn't talk enough about positive stuff that happened at the events Yeah. Okay. and so I'm going to tell a couple of stories that I would love to tell to Shuggy that I know would make him laugh. So, first up, we're first day, everybody getting into makeup, okay. everybody getting into costume, 
I've lent Becky my red armour, which, as you know, is somewhat cleavagey. Yeah, yeah. Becky's playing a goblin. We so, paint her green, including know, the, cleavage. the cleavage. Yeah. And then I, I do a knowing nod to Becky. Take out a slightly darker green and just tell her to rub her middle finger in it. And just, just darken that little shadow there. And while she's doing this, I surreptitiously go round and get a fist bump off every lad in the tent. Nice. <laughs> at, at which point Becky looks up, grins, and gives me a fist bump too. Um, later that night, there's a new lad from one of the other groups. I'm not entirely sure what his name was. I couldn't even tell you what his face looked like because he was wearing a beastkin mask. He was about 18, 19, maybe early 20s. He'd clearly had a little bit too much to drink. Shocking. And he was snoozing in our tent. I think I see where this is going. (laughs) Now, there's a tradition in our tent that we don't let anybody sleep in there overnight because you will get hypothermia and none of us want to take you to the hospital. Yeah, I should so, point out, this is like sleeping in the main bit of the tent rather than like the sleeping yeah, pods. It, it, in the bit where you've been made to sleep, we keep you warm. But yeah, um, if you're going to fall asleep in the group party area, we are going to play Beer Bookaroo. Yeah. Would you like to explain Beer Bookaroo for anyone who's perhaps not aware of it? So, the person who's asleep, who needs to be woken up and told to go to bed. Yeah. You take items as large and entertaining as possible yeah and pile them on that person without waking them up you try and do this in such a chi- such a way that the chair takes some of the weight so that you're not hurting this person yeah i mean obviously you have to exercise a little bit of common <laughs> sense with it but the idea is to see how much stuff you can get on there before Jenga styley or Bookaroo styley, yeah. they wake up and everything goes flying. Yeah. We got a fantastic photo of him with a beer can resting on his head straight. <laughs> and then Chef tried to put a dagger on top of the beer can. Nice. And he misjudged the balance point of the dagger. Right. <laughs> and it, it just gave him the lightest of flicks on his ear. And he woke up and everything went spinning. And he said, oh, I don't know what you mean. I, I wasn't asleep. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so we all burst out laughing. At which point Toz brings out his phone because Toz has taken a photo. We told him to go to bed or we'd put it on Facebook. We wouldn't have really put it on Facebook, but he did need to go to bed. Yeah, so sometimes, you just, when, especially when you're a bit younger and you've had like a skin full, you just need someone to be like, look, mate, just go to bed, sleep it off. Next day... Yeah. ...was the Bards contest. Okay. Now... I've been doing Zoom calls with the Dragon's Bards for the entirety of lockdown. Yeah. Once or twice a week, every week since a 
about the second week of lockdown, which would be the start of April 2020. Yeah. So... A long old while. Yeah, I've got to know all the guys that were there, and I turned up to go and support my friends. Yeah. Only to discover that half of the people on the plays list, most of whom were bards from the Dragons, were... um, for in-character reasons, boycotting the Bards competition. Okay. Which was a bit bleak, but it was because of King Twig Splitter wanting to go and kick over the dragon's bins. I don't know exactly why. So some sort of in-character reasons. But, yeah, pretty much, as far as I understand it, the Goblin King wanted to go and kick over the dragon's bins, and the Goblin King runs the Bards competition... So a load of the dragon's bards refused to go to it. Right, okay. Um, Unfortunately, not enough of them boycotted it that anyone watching noticed that the dragon's bards had boycotted it, which is kind of harsh, because I know some of them worked really hard on the pieces that they had, and I was really looking forward to seeing them in the field. Um, I did get to see them later on around the campfire. Oh, that's Uh, right But, yeah... It's never quite the same. Now, because there was a lot of open space on the playlist, my good friend Dai Murasaki decided that he wants me to do a bit. And I'm like, I, I, I just came to cheer everybody on, but I'll do that one song that I always do when asked for a song because I've got nothing else. You know, the Chaos song, which has many verses that are very suggestive and the idea is each verse has four blank spaces yeah i get four volunteers i have the names guy the body parts guy the object guy and the verb guy yeah now because this was a family event yeah and there were lots of kids in the audience I pulled a kid up to be my verbs guy. Yeah, that's probably a good call. We went through the song. Um, we like to go singing because we like a good sing. We like to go laughing because we like a good larp. Fighting because we like a good fight. And then we get to the last verse. And I cannot work out for the life of me what verb this kid is telling me. So... We like to go oifling because we like a good oif. Why and that's what we like to do. Uh, at some point, I will get a recording of that song, but it does not work without at least six people in the room. Okay. <laughs> um, another thing that happened over the course of the whole weekend, one of the kids that we've played with for years and years like we started laughing when he yeah, was like jordan jordan indeed mr three gold pieces himself his character recently declared himself to be the sky king he's now in his early 20s i should point out yeah, yeah. but yeah we started laughing when he was about 10 and his dad Shut oh that's that's another bit to point out right so people on the field have this thing where they notice that the player identity numbers are of different lengths. Yeah. 
Basically. So someone with a seven-digit number has only started playing recently. Someone with a six-digit number probably started playing about eight years what, ago. Wait, five digits? I believe you should be a four-digit number, and I'm a five-digit number. This is because my original number was a four-digit number, but then they changed my account when I got married. So I, I, I lost some fucking... That shouldn't be swearing. So I lost some lot. No, I'm right? a five lot. One, two, six, zero, nine. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, we both got five-digit numbers. Yeah. Um, and people compare these numbers for, like, how much cred they've got for how long they've been playing. And then Jordan's dad will come out and show everybody his card. And they'll look at it and they'll go, that can't be right. Number 28? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was the third player in the field. I was going to say, I know he's been playing for time, chef. So, th- the guy who was the third player in the field, his kid, proper second generation LARPer, has declared himself the Sky King. Yeah. Because nobody's contested him, he is now officially, in LT law, the Sky King. <laughs> Another member of our group just called herself Moth Queen because she thought it was a fun character name. Um, The two of them got a bit drunk on Thursday. Now, John actually called this while we were setting up tents. John wasn't even at the event. He literally helped us unload our bags and heard Jordan say, I'm the Sky King, and heard... The other players say, I'm the Moth Queen. Yep. At which point he's like, them two are going to be married by the end of the weekend. In character, obviously. But yeah, I so, call that bad boy. This running gag of the Sky King. He's the Sky King because he's got the Sky King crown. Oh, right, okay. However, he wasn't particularly good about keeping that hat on his head. So... Every five minutes, he'd turn around and someone would be going, Who's the Sky King? I'm the Sky King. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All of this developed into uh, Sunday night, Nathan playing an equally entertaining song with his guitar, which he says he made up on the spot about the Sky King. And at some point, again, hopefully I'll get him to record it, uh, the song got increasingly uh, mocking of the Sky King and then brought in the Moth Queen because, of course, she's the best. Um, I think one of the things that I like about LT the most is these songs that just capture these little moments of time and, like, little bits of stuff that happened in the field. Um for example, another song that Nathan wrote includes a line about the Minotaur. Uh, oh, how does it go? He fought in a battle for honour and pride, choked on his outfit, then he nearly died. Now, I, I remember when the Minotaur character got stuck in his helmet and had to be whisked off to the hospital. It was quite harsh. But because it's been captured in that little moment in a comic song, 
and because he's okay it's it's funny funny to look back at it now yeah um and then looking at all of these i realized that a lot of them are sort of making fun of other people in our groups that's entirely not intended as anything mean i'm sure if any of them are listening they're all laughing their boxes off last story i'm going to tell came from the moot now uh, this was the event before the gathering it was the first larp event me dave or die had done in ooh year and a half yeah yeah, yeah a bit about that, yeah. <clears throat> year and a half um First night in character, we've all got drunk, I've got my guitar in one hand, my drum in the other, no, my guitar strapped to my back, a bottle in one hand, my guitar in the other. I was going to say, that sounds a bit more likely. (laughs) Dave and I, pretty much the same, we're all walking about, big smiles on our face, we go down the bit that is known as Mugger's Alley. We go over the bit that's known as the mugging bridge. <laughs> Two other guys are coming in the other direction over the bridge, John. Someone's getting mugged. <laughs> and like a bunch of noobs, we all smiled and held up our drinks and said, You're right. At which point they took out their swords and tapped us all firmly on the heads. Get mugged. We entirely deserved it. They didn't try even searching us. They were just there to kill idiots. And we would have entirely deserved to lose our characters there, but fortunately, Daimurasaki, best bard in Adrea, is also made of Teflon and was able to regenerate from the damage that they'd done, at which point he was also able to pick up the other two characters and we were able to sneak away quietly with our tails between our legs to the nearest camp gates we could get to and go and stay by their fires until one o'clock at time out. <laughs> like the drunken fools we should have. Yep. So, yeah, hopefully that's given you a bit more of a positive look at the LT and LARP or at least Major Chuckle and thank you all very very much for the voicemails yeah and so now we're going to move on to the next one we've got some voicemails on the recent energy drain episode I did from Daniel at Bandit's Keep, Joe at Hindsightless Randy at Biggest Geekers and then we have a voicemail who, where the person doesn't identify themselves I know the voice, and like a fool, I downloaded it and deleted the original before putting the name in it. So if you're the nameless fourth caller, I do apologise. I'm absolutely terrible with names, but we appreciate all the calls nonetheless. So let's crack on with those. Hey, John. Daniel from Bandits Keep calling in about your energy drain episode. Very cool. Awesome thoughts there. Um, I mean, I like energy drain. I think that what you basically already said, you'll catch it back up really quickly. Also, I think unless the players really aren't prepared, only one person usually gets energy drained before everybody realizes what's going on. And vampires can easily be dealt with with garlic and crosses. So honestly, it's not that big of a deal. 
Hey there, Daniel. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. In a sort of normal, like, pseudo-medieval fantasy setting, probably like the whole garlic across things against vampires isn't such a big deal, you know, assuming that vampire myths are prevalent and present. Certainly for my game, I have to be a little bit more wary because it's set in a sort of sub-Arctic environment, so there's not, like, masses of garlic around, and vampire mythology isn't particularly widespread so it took my player characters a while in character to find out those weaknesses and they've only just discovered them so they're going to be able to start exploiting those in the future anyway let's see what else daniel's got to say well what i did want to throw out is um as an option although it sounds like you found one that works for you is you could have the energy drain drained just the experience points and not the actual levels. So that is, they'd still have to do the slug, which is like you don't want, but they wouldn't lose all their abilities. It would just take them longer to get to the following level. And also that's nicer because they don't have to change their characters at all. So I've considered doing that, but um, I don't know. I've never had a problem with it. I think that people say they don't like it, but in play, uh, you know, it's not been a big deal for me. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, your mileage will vary. Some people love it. Some people, like myself, don't really like it. It's whatever works for your game and your group. I mean, that's part of the reason I had a conversation with my group after the session, because I was like, look, I don't particularly like how energy drain works, but if all the rest of the players had have gone, no, we're fine with it, we'd have just run with it, rules as written. I think your idea of just docking the XP is an interesting one, although, again, you'd still have to sort of slog your way back up to get to the next level i've also seen an idea sort of put out there i forget what publication i saw it in that you effectively acquire like negative levels in inverted commas and for every negative level you have you get like a minus one to certain abilities and attacks and whatever but it doesn't actually deduct from your character level so i'm sure there's numerous different ways out there that you could do it Right, so let's move on to the next call, which is Joe from Hindsightless. Hey, John, man, I totally hear you about how level drain sucks, man. I'm not exactly sure how it works in you know OSC and those games, but in Pathfinder, it's a big pain in the ass. It's You don't actually lose the level, you just take a bunch of penalties. Uh, so, like, you take a minus two penalty for every level that you lose on like attack rolls, saving throws uh, you lose 5 hit points off your maximum HP, your caster level goes down by 1 if you're a caster and then that just adds up, it's 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 just a pain in the butt man uh, so yeah, how does it work, you know, what, like what are the mechanical effects do they lose hit points, do they lose Attack bo- I mean, I don't think attack bonuses go up that much. I don't know. How's it work? Mechanically speaking, bite. Hey, Joe, thanks for the call. So how it works in OSE, I'm going to quote from the Old School Essentials Classic Fantasy Monsters book, and this is in the entry for vampires. Energy Drain. A successfully touched target permanently loses two experience levels or hit dice. This incurs a loss of two hit dice of hit points, as well as all of the benefits due to drained levels, i.e. spells, saving throws, etc. A character's XP is reduced to the lowest amount for the new level. A person drained of all levels becomes a vampire in three days. So, it literally knocks you down a couple of levels, although that number can vary depending on the undead. 
reduces your XP total. You lose any benefits of your former level. So if you get knocked down from level 3 to level 1, you are now a level 1 character. As though you've never been a level 3 character. And I'm not particularly a big fan of that. Some people like it, some people don't. But that's how it works in OSC. And I would assume, given that OSC is a is a sort of fairly accurate sort of a clone of BX, that that's how it works in BX as well. And next up, we have a call-in from Randy and Biggest Geekus. John, my man, this is Randy. I'm telling you, you hit on something level draining. Man, I love it. Actually, I don't. It does suck. The idea is super cool. I want the, I want the vampires and the undead to be terrifying. I like your idea of a con drain more than I used to. When I was younger, I even tried a 24-hour window. So if you got level drained in 24 hours, it would come back just to make it suck for a little while. But that never seemed to work quite right. Played around with saving throws. Pathfinder and other games, um, 3.5 and 3.0 had different solutions. Um but it felt like a spell fixed everything. Uh, in our game, we're playing with um, Codename Mudsword. I'm toying with some ideas. I do kind of like that Condrain. I think I may implement that. In fact, we're supposed to play this weekend. Maybe I'll just surprise the party with a white and see how it goes. But uh, yeah, level drain is a conundrum. Take care, bud. Bye. Thanks very much for the message, Randy. Yeah, I think it's obviously one that strikes a chord or doesn't sit well with a lot of people. You know, like how you get like a million articles about how to fix the uh, the rogue skills in like old D&D. There's loads of articles out there about how you can do alternate level drains. So I would say, obviously, I'm not the only person who's not particularly fond of it. But as I've said earlier, some people love it. You know, your mileage may vary. As for busting out someone dead and like sneaking them out for your for your mudsword game on your party by surprise i'd advise you to just be a bit careful with that i mean the the group in my old school essentials game they were fighting one vampire and not even like a high hit dice vampire as far as vampires go and some dire wolves that it had summoned using one of its abilities and they were extremely lucky i mean we're talking about i had i mean all my rolls are open because that's how i roll with them but uh literally for like the first six or seven rounds with this vampire i didn't hit a single thing and i think in fact it was only the one time with the one character that got hit by the vampire and lost a couple of levels that was the only time it hit anything just because my rolls were so abysmal if i'd been rolling a little bit better that scenario could have gone south very quickly so much as i'm loving being able to bring vampires into my game and i can do it with a bit more sort of casual abandon now because i don't have to worry about the the rules as written level drain i'm probably going to be maybe a little bit more cautious about throwing them in i mean i'm not down with the whole sort of like challenge rating thing but i'm probably just going to keep in mind sort of how dicey it could have been with just one vampire in an encounter Next up, we have our nameless caller. And again, apologies. I do recognize the voice, but I'm terrible with names. And like I say, I downloaded this and deleted the original before I'd wrote the name down. So my apologies to this caller. Feel free to drop us another call and like let me know whose name it is so I can like credit you in the description and I can change that. But thank you very much for leaving this call. Hey, John. And Hannah, I really do like Gabor Lux's material. He puts out the fanzine Echoes from Fomaholt, 
which is by EMDT or the first D20 Hungarian society. And uh, that is a role or house role he uses for his Fomal Halt uh, campaign. So uh, that is likely what I would use if I ran a D&D and probably what I will do if the players ever run across any undead in my DCC incarnation of Echoes from Fomal Halt. Uh, He's really cool, too. Um, I did write and ask him some questions about something that he had mentioned in, in, in a sort of index. But never came out in one of the. I guess I guess a lot of the articles from Knock he's putting back out, and um, slowly in the echoes from Fumble Halt Zine, and I do recommend it. Um, it is really pretty good. It's good content for AD and D and other games of that ilk, which honestly I throw DCC into um, because it has that sword and sorcery, boulder type of feel. Um, I guess it is still high fantasy because it has elves and dwarves and halflings. But uh, yeah, it's really enjoyable. That's really cool. Thanks for that uh, shout out. That encourages me to shout him out more. Yeah, I really enjoyed the article and the alternative presented in Knock Issue 1. And uh, thanks for the Xena recommendation. I shall definitely give that a look. So obviously, I wasn't there when you were doing the Love Drain episode. Yeah. So, what I wanted to ask you about was what you thought about it with, like, the balance of um, basically one player getting hit by it more than once. Yeah. Compared to if the whole group gets hit by it, surely it's not, like, that big of a problem. Well, I mean, I I agree in sort of D&D because I think, let's just say one player character gets hit and they lose a couple of levels. Assuming they're still adventuring with the same party, Mm -hmm. because it will take them less XP per level to go up a level, Mm -hmm. they will tend to, like, level up a little bit faster. But obviously you just have to be a bit careful because you'll be considerably more fragile than the rest of your party members, which can lead to you taking a bit of a back seat, which, you know, some people are okay with, you know, get a crossbow, get a bow, provide that long range support. Other people maybe don't enjoy it. I mean, if you're playing like a, a barbarian frontline fighter type and suddenly you're like, oh, I've got, I'm going to take a bit of a back seat, guys, until I've like got these levels back up, that might not be so fun. Depends on the player and what they're looking to get out of the game. But, Again, that's personally why I prefer this like constitution drain because although it can be extra, as I said in the episode, it can be extremely deadly because even if you roll maximum constitution, you're only going to have eighteen, and if you've got like a a vampire can like knock off like I think it's two d four with each attack, I get two attacks and roll max damage. That's sixteen con you're losing. How many characters that, have sixteen con? It is dirty, but what it does is it makes them much more dangerous immediately so like you can't just slog it out toe to toe with a vampire because otherwise you're going to suddenly be on like zero constitution and dead however because like every time a day passes you get one of those points back Mm -hmm. it doesn't have the long-term effects so like let's say you lose five six constitution points yeah okay in character it's a bit of a ball like that you've got to like spend like a week resting but in reality as long as the rest of the party are like yeah we're all just going to rest up for a week and do some stuff mm-hmm. in town the gm can just be like a week passes 
and then we jump back into the game rather than you having to spend the next six sessions with this whole lingering level loss hanging over you. So I suppose what I'm really getting at here is something that I often come back to, which is your group and your GM need to know what they're getting into Yeah. for whichever type of rules you're going for. If you're going to have that like permanent level drain and stuff, there's opportunity there for some really sort of angsty role play. Yeah. But if you're not into that, if you're not up for that, then there's better rule systems. Yeah, there's different for ways it. of doing it. I mean, I said in the episode, like, because uh, my game's like a sandbox and the players do what they want. Mm-hmm. However, I hadn't envisioned that they'd be coming across this vampire plot as quickly as they did. So I'd basically planned in a session or two, I was going to be like, oh, look, guys, there's potentially that level draining monster's going to be coming up at some point. Let's have a discussion about it. How do we want to do it? But because they, like, quickly jumped into that plot, I was suddenly like, all right, I've not time to discuss this with them. So, And like I say, my roles were pants, so like, only one guy got tagged by the vampire. And I was like, don't worry about it for this combat. We're going to have a talk about it at the end of the session because we're getting near to the end of the session anyway. So we had a discussion at the end of the session. I was like, look, guys, I'll level with you. No pun intended. I don't like energy drain, how it works, rules as written. How are you guys feeling with it? And all the players were like, yeah, we're not fond of it. So I said, right, well, look, I've got this alternative in this zine. Read the rules out to him, and I was like, Mm -hmm. this is how, this is the suggestion. What do we think? We chatted about it for a bit and then decided to go forward with the optional rules. Mm -hmm. So that's it for this voicemail episode thank you to all our wonderful callers goblins henchmen joe of the hindsightless podcast bj of the arcane alienist jason of nerds rpg variety cast randy of biggest geekers daniel at bandits keep rob davis and the unnamed caller if you want to get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail, maybe be featured in a future episode yourself, then you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can leave us a voicemail using the SpeakPipe link, or you can leave us a voicemail on our old Anchor account. Links for that in the description of the show. Or you can send us an email, even attach a sound file if you want, to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we catch you again on the next episode, stay safe, and whenever you're playing, have fun. Bye.